Hello, you're listening to New England Climate Conversations, the podcast all about the impacts of climate change and how we can make a difference. I'm your host, Owen, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dean, Luna, and Corbin. On this episode, we'll begin with a piece by Luna about climate migration. The remainder of the episode will be an interview with Maine Representative Morgan Riley, a sponsor of the legislation that created the Maine Climate Corps. Maine, since the beginning of colonization, has been a popular destination for those looking to escape the encroaching unlovability of industrializing cities and unbearable environmental conditions. Until recently, the population following those patterns has been wealthy, educated white Europeans looking to indulge in leisurely gallantry in the clear waters and winds of Maine. It has played a particularly interesting role in the locations that see quite a bit of seasonal influxes of summer encroachment from far away, like Mount Desert Island. However, we are starting to see more migrations of those from the southern parts of the Western Hemisphere and the globe more broadly. We can see this throughout most of the New England region, with cooler weather, relative social stability, and already existent population decline indicating gaps for those seeking more stability after fleeing areas of impoverishment and untenable living conditions. The choice is straightforward if you're looking at your home. A place that hosted generations of your kin is not looking to become flooded after rising coastlines. Or perhaps the wildfires raised down your community and you can no longer risk rebuilding. What's to be done now? Move to the greener pasture. Climate change migration is not a modern phenomenon. Humans and animals have been traveling for a new place to call home due to changes in climate conditions for aeons. On this episode of New England Climate Conversations, I will broach the subject of migration of humans to the New England region and how communities are adapting to diverse populations needing those greener pastures. across the region, like Keene, New Hampshire, are one of the locations having gatherings to plan for an increase in migrants. Roughly a third of the almost 70 million people facing displacement of some kind have been due to climate change. Like the region in general, the issue is housing affordability among stock that's readily available year-round. In cities like Keene, planning meetings broach costly subjects like accommodating large-scale infrastructure projects like sewage upgrades. Some have noted that Maine is a destination for a large amount of climate migrations. Quote, we do know that we are really unprepared for a large amount of growth in the state, said Christina Egan, executive director of the Greater Portland Council of Governments. An increase of about 3% through the end of 2030 is expected for Maine's population. Coupled with an increase of pandemic population growth, the problems with the region unprepared for the necessary housing and year-round jobs. Tens of thousands of new housing units would need to be built for the Portland region of Southern Maine to accommodate housing needs. Public mass transit goes hand-in-hand with increasing housing needs. Maine is not immune to climate change impacts, with the coastline and its many island communities under serious threat, meaning many people will be heading northward and inland. The decline in population is due to the excising of younger people who are seeking high-wage tech center jobs, and older populations are stagnating in the area. They are retiring and not leaving behind the large housing stock. The population is also seeing a decline in births, which has been making population growth difficult, especially with the area in desperate need of people to fill jobs across most sectors. Not enough children are being born and young people are leaving the state. We will also need to consider the job market. Main seasonal industries include tourism, timber, and maritime production industries. The former is not well known for its robust benefits nor its adequate wages, and workers from abroad who tend to stay just the summer add a layer of complexity and a conundrum for those seeking jobs. 
The task is to have steady and meaningful, satisfying employment for those that need it, and it will only be complicated by future increases in population. Down south, Nashville, New Hampshire has seen a great influx in climate migration from flood and hurricane-prone areas like Louisiana and Puerto Rico, and wildfire-impacted areas like California. Although the coastal areas of New Hampshire are facing some of the same coastal flooding issues, the area has become a hotspot for those seeking stability in the weather conditions. Like many parts of New England, the population is in decline, and the harsh winters are growing milder, which makes the region highly desirable for climate migrants. This story is playing out across small cities in the region. In future editions of New England Climate Conversations, we will discuss current resident patterns as they pertain to climate change and housing. Until next time, this is Luna with Climate Migration and Future Demographic Changes. And now, for a special guest interview. How did you develop the main climate for what went into that? Yeah, well, I mean, first, thank you all for having me on uh, your podcast. Um, it's a very cool experience to uh, have, uh, of course, sponsored and worked on the main climate core for the past several years to now to be able to, to, to talk to core members. Um, but yeah, I, I, a lot of it starts with, uh, I think, my interest in service in general. Uh, I, growing up, I, I came from a, I come from a family that really values, um, service. Uh, my, uh, my dad was, uh, on the town council. My, uh, my grandmother, uh, ran the local food pantry and I would help out, uh, as a kid with her and, um, also through, uh, through their faith as well, uh, particularly, um, with my grandmother, uh, and her Catholic faith about kind of, um, how can I make, how can I serve others? And, uh, that, that definitely had an influence on me, um, as a kid, uh, and, um, in high school, I was really interested in world war II history. And, uh, I started interviewing main world war II veterans and I, I spent a lot of time with them. And, um, but something that I noticed in all their stories, what kind of connected them all together was about leading a life of service and, and not necessarily their service during the war, but a lot of them continued to serve after the war. They ran for town council. They uh, were just active members in society. They volunteered. Uh, they uh, started nonprofits and they kind of always looked at about how can I make my piece of the world not better just for myself, but those for those around me. And I, I found that very, uh, I found that very attractive and I found that very interesting. And it, it really stuck with me. So when I went off to college, when I went to Bowdoin, um, I was asking myself, all right, how am I going to serve? How am I going to make a difference? How am I going to serve my country? And while in college, I studied, uh, I studied government and I studied religion. And um, I would have had like about like a minor in Arabic as well. And I thought about maybe becoming a foreign service officer uh, with the State Department. And during between my junior and my senior year, uh, I was in Amman, Jordan, working for uh, a nonprofit there, working with Ara Iraqi and Syrian refugees. And uh, about several days before I was set, set to come back, uh, I remember watching on the news on the other side of the world. I remember watching uh, the uh, the Charlottesville 
the white nationalist rally um, in Charlottesville and um, that woman dying there. And I remember watching that on the other side of the world and kind of thinking, okay, I want to serve, but I don't think my country needs me abroad. My country needs me back home. So I came back uh, and uh, completed my senior year at Bowdoin. And then um, during my, I remember during my senior year and right after I graduated, I remember thinking about how am I going to serve and, and what does that look like? And uh, at the time coming up in 2020, the legislator that um, I was going to replace uh, or that I would eventually replace uh, his term uh, was ending because we have term limits here in Maine. You can serve only um, about uh, like four terms, so eight years consecutively um, before you have to leave, before you have to switch bodies. And so I knew that there was a seat opening and um, I kind of saw this as my, maybe my opportunity to be, help kind of make a difference and, and give back to my community. So I, I ran in 2020, uh, I was elected. And when I got in the legislature, my main focus was about expanding, uh, expanding national service opportunities here in the state um, and creating new ones. Uh, because I see service as a way to be able to, to be able to unite people, to be able to unite you, unite with your neighbor, uh, to unite with, uh, to unite communities, um, and to be able to address issues, uh, that everybody's currently facing here in the state. I mean, I don't think when people talk about the greatest generation, I don't think we, (laughs) I don't think we have to go through a world war to be able to unite this country. I think we have so many issues at hand from uh, addressing uh, climate, the climate crisis, uh, issues in public health, issues in equity here in this country. And I think through those issues, I think we can, we can use those issues to be able to unite Americans and to unite manners to be able to address them. And I think that's where national service programming, programs like the Maine Climate Corps, programs like the Maine Service Fellows Program, uh, AmeriCorps programming, I see those as like a vehicle to kind of be able to address those issues while uh, uniting communities and also really addressing another thing that I've kind of found over the years. Uh, and I think it's been, I, I think it definitely accelerated um, during the pandemic was uh, a real sense of, I think, isolation in today's society and a sense of, and what I see in so many people is a real a sense of belonging, uh, wanting to be a part of something greater than themselves. And I think national service gives that to many of those people. So that's what, what kind of, that's what led me to, to really focus on that. So I, I worked with volunteer Maine and I worked with advocates, uh, on developing, um, and, uh, the Maine service fellows, which is state-based rural service Corps, which is also part of the Maine climate Corps network. And then, uh, the Maine climate Corps, and, uh, I'm happy to talk further about um, what that looked like, the legislation process, and kind of go by step by step if if that would be helpful. Um, or happy to kind of break down and talk about the programs. I guess uh, we're thinking about like what uh, what made you focus particularly on climate change. What made that seem like uh, it was necessary for you to come up with something like this? Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that's the biggest danger. I think not just Maine or not just, not just America faces, but the world faces is, is addressing climate crisis. And I think like one thing, like when you, if you're ever have the privilege of being able to serve in elected office, I, I think at first when you, when you get sworn in, you kind of go in and you're like, all right, there's so many issues to be able to tackle. There's so many things that I need to do. And it's easy to get overwhelmed and you're going to, 
you're going to burn yourself out pretty fast and you're not going to be able to solve all of them. Um, it's just not humanly possible. And so I saw that like with the main climate core, you're able to address uh, the climate crisis systemically, but like also through a, through a lot of different ways from, I mean, the core is looking at stuff from public health to uh, energy efficiency, to uh, conservation, to emergency management. I mean, it, it addresses it in so many different ways. And I mean, that's what it's going to be able to take. You can't just solely focus on, I mean, you can't solely focus on uh just emergency emergency management, or you can't solely focus purely just on clean energy um, or something like that. You have to be able to look at it through a lot of different lenses uh, in order to be able to address the crisis because it's it just affects every aspect of uh, of our daily lives. And um, have you or how have you um, tried to promote uh, awareness of the, the program statewide or even nationally? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I'm constantly talking about it to whoever will listen to me, um, whether that's in the halls of the state house or uh, back in Westbrook or or out here uh, on the water with the guys I work with. I'm always talking about it. I mean, here in the state, both by spreading awareness, but also by getting um, both the study uh, and then the, the core eventually put uh, into statute. A lot of that is, is with coalition building. It's talking with different stakeholders. It's talking with different groups. I mean, you can't get something like that passed with just by yourself. You have to be able to build coalitions. So from working with, uh, with college students who are activists, uh, working with, um, different, uh, climate groups here in the state, working with, uh, labor, working with municipalities, uh, and working also across the aisle as well, I, you have to be able to engage and work with everyone, especially with, with something like the climate core that it, it doesn't affect one group of people it affects us all. All right. Um, and then I think the second part of your question was talking about how, about promoting it nationally. One thing that I've been, I, um, started, uh, is a state service caucus. I started with America's, uh, America's service commissions. And uh, they're a group that that's an organization that represents state service commissions. So like volunteer main, or uh, it's usually like a, like it will be like a volunteer main or like a, a serve Michigan or something like that. Uh, but each state has a service commission. And uh, I work with them on um, the state service caucus, which is a nationwide bipartisan uh, caucus of state legislators advocating for and, and pushing for national service programming. And uh, some of our caucus members uh, have had uh, successes in, in recent years. One, uh, one member, Representative Slatter, she got the uh, Washington Climate Corps uh, passed and signed into law over there. And so Washington now has a state climate corps. Um, another colleague, Senator Heidelman, um, introduced legislation uh, that led to uh, Maryland's climate corps as well. So we're starting to also see state climate cores, and that's something that I've been working on. There are caucus members and, and have been advocating with national organizations and, and um, speaking with them about that. I also was invited to the, the White House earlier back in um, September. On, uh, they had a, a conference on uh, climate resiliency. And um, I spoke uh, with members of the Biden administration about how state climate cores can really help uh, communities with climate resiliency projects, um, and especially also, especially also address 
kind of the real kind of equity dot equity divide when it comes to like federal monies um, being used in, for climate resiliency, allowing like core members can be able to help particularly rural communities be able to access those monies. Um, and so that they don't miss out on them. Um, so I've been, I have been advocating it um, everywhere. Good to hear. Um, I think in, uh, in your answer to previous questions, you've already uh, touched on why creating sustainable and green uh, energy jobs is really important to you personally. We could move on to uh, how important do you think workforce development for green energy is? Totally. I mean, um, I think like the Climate Corps, it, it, it gives young Mainers or also Mainers who are who might be looking at at changing up their careers as an opportunity to be able to test something else, to be able to serve and kind of and, and gain uh, new skill sets, whether that's with uh, solar panel installation or or, or, or like invasive species monitoring. Um, that's another thing that the core will hopefully um, start working on. Um, all those would be able to give Mainers uh, new job skills that will um, help kind of jumpstart and, and, and grow those industries here in the state. Dean, did you want to step in for a moment? Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm the, I'm obviously a, uh, a regular on the podcast. I'm the I'm the supervisor of the Climate Corps while Owen is the host. And um, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, um, Representative Riley, is because that's something that's you know really important uh, for the uh, for the for the main Climate Corps at Downey's Community Partners as well. I mean that you know the lack of job opportunities can not only really hurt mm-hmm. the local economy, but it also um, you know, hurts auditing and weatherization efforts. I mean, to be able to serve people properly, you know, with these retrofitting, make sure people, you know, aren't freezing cold in their homes at winter, you know, with these cold main winters that we have, um, everything sort of has to be in order. You know, you have to have physically enough people with sufficient training in order to totally to get these audits out, to get to, to get these weatherization jobs done. And without that green energy development, I mean, it doesn't matter how good your plan is. If you don't have the people for it, it's not going to happen. Um, I mean, and, 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 and that's sort of where we're stepping in here, um, the, the climate core, you know, we, we, we really want to not only serve our community by doing the work, you know, by auditing and producing deliverables as you would call it, but also, you know, by helping our members develop their skills and showing to other people, um, of, of other climate cores, other people interested in doing service that it's not impossible. And, uh, you know, that training can be organized and, it, and, and it's, and it's going to be a lot easier with collaborative effort you know, between all of us, not just, you know, not just a uh, quote unquote, really important people like, uh, you know, like state legislate, like, you know, like members of the state legislature, but, you know, regular people can have, you know, a, a huge impact as well. And that's, and, and yeah, that's what part absolutely. of the program is, is trying to help realize. I think also for like workforce development as well. Um, again, the climate core and has been shown polling and everything is very popular among among young people, among people of, um, I don't know how old you all are, uh, but definitely among Gen Z and for me, um, uh, definitely millennials as well. Of um, that, I, that's something that it, it could be a tool to be able to attract, particularly young people, to here to this here to Maine, but especially to our rural communities that are are really need uh, younger people moving there, living there, starting jobs, uh, working at new jobs there. And, and 
setting down roots. And I think the Maine Climate Corps definitely will will be able to attract young people from around the country to be able to make Maine their home. Yeah, hope so because it is a great point that um, you know uh, the issue of climate change definitely uh, is, is taken more seriously or more uh, understood by younger generations. I think there's more passion there. And the, the Climate Corps can help uh, keep existing industries alive. Um, I mean, with invasive species monitoring, I mean, green crabs are a real issue for uh, people in the, the shellfish uh, industry. Like with uh, they eat clams, um, they're not great for oysters. So I mean, the Corps can also help preserve uh, like our working waterfront heritage as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to say that you haven't had the opportunity to so far? Um, I, I mean, I feel like the last thing, uh, I would have to say would be, uh, again, thank you, uh, so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, it, it's really, it's, it's a really cool experience to be able to, to hear about, uh, what the core members are, what you all are working on, uh, and to see that, um, it's succeeding and that, uh, you're the first group of a core of the main climate core that will hopefully exist for many years to come. Um, it's been something that it's been, probably one of my proudest achievements, just not just in the legislature, just, but just uh, for me personally, uh, to be able to see this through. Uh, it's been something that I've been working on for a while. Um, so it's, it's great to see. And I just, I, I feel like the one thing that I would have to ask from all of you would be to, to share your experiences uh, with everyone uh, who, with anyone who will listen to you um, about the main climate core, about why it's so important and about why it's so necessary for it to continue to exist so they can continue to do the great work that it's, uh, it's already doing. I'm working hard up in Augusta to, to make sure uh, that it keeps on getting funding. And I've been um, advocating um, nationally uh, for more, uh, for, for, for federal monies, um, for, for our state climate course. Uh, that's what I've been working on, but it's, it's great to see um, and hear from all of you. Great to hear from you as well. Thank you for all the kind words and encouragement. And thank you for coming on. Yeah, of course. That's all for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review on your favorite social media platform. Also, if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in the future, feel free to reach out via social media or leave a comment on our YouTube channel. See you next week when we'll be covering likely developments related to climate change, including how maple syrup production will be affected, increasing mosquito population levels and the consequences of that, and how AI is being used to address problems arising from climate change. Mm -hmm.